Section 24 of History of New England, 1630-1649. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. History of New England, 1630-1649 by John Winthrop. Section 24, 1647. 1. March. At the Court of Assistance, three or four were sent for, who had been very active about the petition to the commissioners in procuring hands to it, it being thought fit to pass by such as being drawn in had only subscribed the petition, especially Mr. Samuel Maverick and Mr. Clerk of Salem, the keeper of the ordinary there and a church member. These having taken an oath of fidelity to the government, and enjoying all liberties of freemen, their offense was far the greater, so they were bound over to answer it at the next general court. Mr. Smith and Mr. Dand, giving security to pay their fines, assessed upon the former petition within two months, rebelled to the general court. Dr. Child also was offered his liberty, upon bail to the general court, and to be confined to Boston, but he chose rather to go to prison, and so he was committed. The reason of referring these and others to the general court was, both in regard the cause was of so great concernment as the very life and foundation of our government, and also because the general court had cognizance thereof already upon the first petition. Footnote. The record here concluded deserves careful reading. The heads in New England proceeded warily. In disturbed England, whether the king or parliament was to prevail, and what was to be the situation, was involved in doubt. Behind the shield of their charter they determined, if they could, to establish a large degree of independence, but it must be noted that independence at this time was coupled with ecclesiastical domination and general loss of liberty, whereas dependence would bring to the colonies the far freer atmosphere of England. For severe contemporary criticism of the petition Winslow was to present, see Edward Johnson, Wonder-Working Providence, Book 3, Chapter 3, in footnote. Mr. Burton, one of the petitioners, being in the town meeting when the court's declaration was read, was much moved and spake in high language, and would needs have a copy of it, which so soon as he had, he went with it, as was undoubtedly believed, to Dr. Child, and in the way fell down, and lay there in the cold near half an hour, till company was gotten, to carry him home in a chair, and after he continued in great pain, and lame diverse months. It is observable that this man had gathered some providences about such as were against them, as that Mr. Winslow's horse died as he came riding to Boston, that his brother's son, a child of eight years old, had killed his own sister, being ten years of age, with his father's peace, etc., and his great trouble was, lest this providence which now befell him should be imputed to their cause. There fell out at this time a very sad occasion. A merchant of Plymouth in England, whose father had been mayor there, called Blank Martin, being fallen into decay, came to Casco Bay, and after some time, having occasion to return into England, he left behind two daughters, very proper maidens and of modest behavior, but took not that course for their safe bestowing in his absence, as the care and wisdom of a father should have done. So the eldest of them, called Mary, twenty-two years of age, being in the house with one Mr. Mitten, a married man of Casco, within one quarter of a year he was taken with her, and soliciting her chastity obtained his desire and having diverse times committed sin with her in the space of three months, she then removed to Boston, and put herself in service to Mrs. Bourne, and finding herself to be with child, and not able to bear the shame of it, she concealed it, and though diverse did suspect it, and some told her mistress their fears, yet her behavior was so modest and so faithful she was in her service, as her mistress would not give ear to any such report, but blamed such as told her of it. But, her time being come, she was delivered of a woman-child in a back room by herself, upon the thirteenth, ten, December thirteenth, in the night, and the child was born alive, but she kneeled upon the head of it, 
till she thought it had been dead, and having laid it by, the child, being strong, recovered and cried again. Then she took it again, and used violence to it, till it was quite dead. Then she put it into her chest, and having cleansed the room, she went to bed, and arose the next day about noon, and went about her business, and so continued till the nineteenth day, that her master and mistress went on shipboard to go for England. They being gone, and she removed to another house, a midwife in the town, having formerly suspected her, and now coming to her again, found she had been delivered of a child, which upon examination she confessed, but said it was still born, and so she put it into the fire. But search being made, it was found in her chest, and when she was brought before the jury, they caused her to touch the face of it, whereupon the blood came fresh into it. Footnote. In this pitiful tale appears, as in a previous case, a very old and widespread superstition. In footnote. Whereupon she confessed the whole truth, and a surgeon, being called to search the body of the child, found a fracture in the skull. Before she was condemned, she confessed that she had prostituted her body to another also, one Sears. She behaved herself very penitently while she was in prison, and at her death, 18-1, March 18th, complaining much of the hardness of her heart. She confessed that the first and second time she committed fornication, she prayed for pardon, and promised to commit it no more, and the third time she prayed God that if she did fall into it again, he would make her an example, and therein she justified God as she did in the rest. Yet all the comfort God would afford her was only trust, as she said, in his mercy through Christ. After she was turned off and had hung a space, she spake, and asked what they did mean to do. Then some stepped up and turned the knot of the rope backward, and then she soon died. Mention was made before of some beginning to instruct the Indians, etc. Mr. John Elliot, teacher of the Church of Roxbury, found such encouragement as he took great pains to get their language, and in a few months could speak of the things of God to their understanding, and God prospered his endeavors. So as he kept a constant lecture to them in two places, one week at the wigwam of one Waybon, a new sachem near Watertown Mill, and the other the next week in the wigwam of Cutshamakin near Dorchester Mill. And for the furtherance of the work of God, diverse of the English resorted to his lecture, and the governor and other of the magistrates and elders sometimes, and the Indians began to repair thither from other parts. His manner of proceeding was thus. He would persuade one of the other elders or some magistrate to begin the exercise with prayer in English. Then he took a text and read it first in the Indian language and after in English. Then he preached to them in Indian about an hour. But first I should have spoke of the catechizing their children, who were soon brought to answer him some short questions, whereupon he gave each of them an apple or a cake. Then he demanded of some of the chiefs if they understood him. If they answered yea, then he asked of them if they had any questions to propound. And they had usually two or three more questions, which he did resolve. At one time, when the governor was there and about two hundred people, Indian and English, in one wigwam of Kashamakens, an old man asked him if God would receive such an old man as he was, to whom he answered by opening the parable of the workmen that were hired into the vineyard. And when he had opened it, he asked the old man if he did believe it, who answered he did, and was ready to weep. The second question was, what was the reason that when all the Englishmen did know God, yet some of them were poor? His answer was, one, that God knows it is better for his children to be good than to be rich. He knows withal that if some of them had riches, they would abuse them, and wax proud and wanton, etc. Therefore he gives them no more riches than may be needful for them, that they may be kept safe from pride, etc., to depend upon him. 2. You would hereby have men know that he hath better blessings to bestow upon good men than riches, etc., and that their best portion is in heaven, etc. A third question was, if a man had two wives, which was ordinary with them, seeing he must put away one, which he should put away. 
to this it was answered that by the law of god the first is the true wife and the other is no wife but if such a case fell out they should then repair to the magistrates and they would direct them what to do for it might be that the first wife might be an adulteress etc and then she was to be put away when all their questions were resolved he concluded with prayer in the indian language the indians were usually very attentive and kept their children so quiet as caused no disturbance some of them began to be seriously affected and to understand the things of god and they were generally ready to reform whatsoever they were told to be against the word of god as their sorcery which they call powwowing their whoredoms etc idleness etc the indians grew very inquisitive after knowledge both in things divine and also human so as one of them meeting with an honest plain englishman would needs know of him what were the first beginnings which we call principles of a commonwealth that englishman being far short in the knowledge of such matters yet ashamed that an indian should find an englishman ignorant of anything but thought himself what answer to give him at last resolved upon this viz that the first principle of a commonwealth was salt for saith he by means of salt we can keep our flesh and fish to have it ready when we need it whereas you lose much for want of it and are sometimes ready to starve the second principle is iron for thereby we fell trees build houses till our land etc a third is ships by which we carry forth such commodities as we have to spare and fetch in such as we need as cloth wine etc alas saith the indian then i fear we shall never be a commonwealth for we can neither make salt nor iron nor ships footnote the apostleship of john eliot will always be held one of the most creditable episodes of our early history winthrop's picture of his labors may be easily filled out for eliot's worth has always been recognized and celebrated by all new england histories from william hubbard and cotton mather to palfrey and edward everett hale see also his life by francis and sparks american biography first series his great distinction was his labor among the indians crowned by his colossal work the translation of the bible into indian cambridge 1662 second edition 1680 the christian commonwealth which he wrote in 1660 was not approved and he although so much respected was called sharply to account for it with that curious facility and retraction which one notices in characters high and low in john cotton as well as john underhill he recanted and was restored to honor he had a savage animosity to the sin of wearing wigs sympathizing here with cotton mather who writes for men to wear their hair with luxurious delicate feminine prolixity or to disfigure themselves with hair which was not of their own but above all the ministers of the gospel to ruffle it in excesses of this kind was an enormous sin eliot's prejudice against tobacco is equally strong in the list of our old worthies he is as brave and persistent as any and especially marked by amiability among men so often repulsively harsh in footnote it pleased god so to prosper our fishing this season as that at marblehead only they had taken by the midst of the eleventh month january about four thousand pounds worth of fish ten december footnote sixteen forty six in footnote but the lord was still pleased to afflict us in our shipping for major gibbons and captain leverett having sent a new ship of about one hundred tons to virginia and having there freighted her with tobacco going out of the river by a sudden storm was forced on shore from her anchor and much of the goods spoiled to the loss as was estimated of above two thousand pounds i must here observe a special providence of god pointing out his displeasure against some profane persons who took part with dr child etc against the government and churches here the court had appointed a general fast to seek god as for some other occasions so in the trouble which threatened us by the petitioners etc 
The pastor of Hingham and others of his church, being of their party, made light of it, and some said they would not fast against Dr. Child and against themselves. And there were two of them, one Pitt and Johnson, who, having a great raft of mass and planks, worth forty or fifty pounds to tow to Boston, would need set forth about noon the day before, it being impossible they could get to Boston before the fast. But when they came at Castle Island, there arose such a tempest as carried away their rafts, and forced them to cut their masts to save their lives. Some of their masts and planks they recovered after, where it had been cast on shore, but when they came with it to the castle, they were forced back again, and were so oft put back with contrary ones, etc., as it was above a month before they could bring all the remainder to Boston. Prescott, another favor of the petitioners, lost a horse in his lading in Sudbury River, and a week after his wife and children, being upon another horse, were hardly saved from drowning. A woman of Charlestown, having two daughters, aged under fourteen, sent them to the tide mill nearby with a little corn. They delivered their corn at the mill, and returning back, they dwelt towards Cambridge. They were not seen till three months after, supposed to be carried away by the tide, which was then above the marsh. This was 1311, January 13th. 1. March. In the midst of this month, a small pinnace was set out for Barbados with blank persons and store of provisions. It was her first voyage, and 2-3, March 2nd, after she was put on shore at Situate, the goods in her, but not a man, nor any of their clothes. The merchants of Boston had set forth a small ship to trade about the Gulf of Canada, and they had certificate under the public seal to that end. They set sail from Boston the midst of the first month, March, and by tempest were forced into a harbor near Cape Sable, and having lost their boat and forced to let slip their cables, were driven on ground, and having stayed there about four days, Mr. Denalne, having intelligence of them, sent eighteen men by land, who, finding eleven of ours on shore without weapons, surprised them, and after the ship, having but six in her, and being carried to Port Royal, he examined them, upon oath, whether they had traded, which they had not done, only the merchant had received two beaver skins given him by the sachem, for which, notwithstanding he allowed their commission, after he had kept them three weeks prisoners, he kept their ship and goods to the value of one thousand pounds, and sent them home in two shallops, meanly provided, and without any lead, question mark, etc. This is more fully set down after, folio 99. One blank of Windsor arraigned and executed at Hartford for a witch. Footnote. Savage noted this as the first instance in New England of the witchcraft delusion. The case is not mentioned by other historians. In footnote. 1647. 33. May 30th. In the evening there is heard the report as of a great piece of ordnance. It was heard all over the bay, and all along to Yarmouth, etc., and there it seemed as if it had been to the southward of them. 26. The court of elections was at Boston. Great laboring there had been by the friends of the petitioners to have one chosen governor who favored their cause, and some new magistrates to have chosen of their side. But the mind of the country appeared clearly, for the old governor was chosen again, with two or three hundred votes more than any other, and no new magistrate was chosen, but only Captain Robert Bridges. Captain Weld of Roxbury being dead, the young men of the town agreed together to choose one George Dennison. Footnote. George Dennison had imbibed in Cromwell's army ideas and a spirit which did not commend him to the Roxbury brethren, whose minister had been the strict Thomas Weld, but he was a brave and active soldier, as was proved in Philip's war. In footnote, a young soldier come lately out of the wars in England, which the ancient and chief men of the town understanding, they came together at the time appointed, and chose one Mr. Pritchard, a godly man and one of the chief in the town, passing by their lieutenant, fearing lest the young Denison would have carried it from him, whereupon much content and murmuring arose in the town. 
The young men were overstrongly bent to have their will, although their election was void in law, George Denison not being then a free man, and the ancient men overvoted them above twenty, and the lieutenant was discontented because he was neglected, etc. The cause coming to the court, and all parties being heard, Mr. Pritchard was allowed, and the young men were pacified, and the lieutenant. 4-4, June 4. Canonicus, the great sachem of Narangaset, died a very old man. Footnote. A faithful friend of the English who merited from the governor some appreciative words. In footnote. 8-4, June 8th. The synod began again at Cambridge. The next day, Mr. Ezekiel Rogers of Raleigh preached in the forenoon, and the magistrates and deputies were present, and in the afternoon Mr. Elliot preached to the Indians in their own language before all the assembly. Mr. Rogers in his sermon took occasion to speak of the petitioners, then in question before the court, and exhorted the court to do justice upon them, yet with desire of favor to such as had been drawn in, etc., and should submit. He reproved also the practices of private members making speeches in the church assemblies to the disturbance and hindrance of the ordinances, also the call for the reviving the ancient practice in England of children asking their parents' blessing upon their knees, etc. Also he reproved the great oppression in the country, etc., and other things amiss as long hair, etc. Diverse were offended as a zeal in some of these passages. Mr. Bradford, the governor of Plymouth, was there as a messenger of the church of Plymouth. But the sickness, mentioned here in the next leaf, prevailed so as diverse of the members of the synod were taken with it, whereupon they were forced to break up on the sudden. The success of Mr. Elliot's labors in preaching to the Indians appears in a small book set forth by Mr. Shepherd and by other observations in the country. Footnote. The references to Reverend Thomas Shepherd's The Day Breaking, If Not the Sun Rising, of the Gospel with the Indians in New England, London, 1647, reprinted in 1865, and in Old South Leaflets, number 143, or to his The Clear Sunshine of the Gospel Breaking Forth Upon the Indians in New England, 1648 reprinted 1834-1865, and perhaps also to a preceding anonymous tract, New England's First Fruits, London, 1643, reprinted 1865. In footnote. 1646-19. 1, March 19. One Captain Dobson in a ship of 80 tons, double-manned and fitted for a man of war, was set forth from Boston to trade to the eastward. Their testimonial was for the Gulf of Canada but being taken with foul weather and having lost their boat, they put into harbor at Cape Sable, and there shooting off five or six pieces of ordnance, the Indians came aboard them and traded some skins, and withal Mr. de Alnay had notice, and presently sent away twenty men over land, being about thirty miles from Port Royal, who lurking in the woods for their advantage, Providence offered them a very fair one. For the ship, having brought a shallop of the Indians, and being under sail in the mouth of the harbor, the wind came about southerly with such violence as forced them to an anchor, and having lost all their anchors they were forced on shore, yet without danger of shipwreck. Whereupon the master and merchant and most of the company went on shore, leaving but six men aboard, and carried no weapons with them, which the French perceiving, they came upon them and bound them, and carried the master to the ship's side, who commanded the men aboard to yield up the ship. The French being possessed of the ship carried her to Port Royal, and left some of their company to conduct the rest by land. When they came there, they were all imprisoned, and examined a part upon oath, and having confessed that they had traded, etc., the ship and cargo, being worth in all one thousand pounds, was kept as confiscated, and the men were put into two old shallops and sent home, and arrived at Boston, 6-3, May 6, 47. The merchants complained to the court for redress, and offered to set forth a good ship to deal with some of de Elney's vessels, but the court thought it not safe nor expedient for us to begin a war with the French, 
nor could he charge any manifest wrong upon to Aldney, seeing we had told him that if ours did trade within his liberties they should do it at their own peril and though we judged it an injury to restrain the natives and others from trading etc they being a free people yet it being a common practice of all civil nations his seizure of our ship would be accounted lawful and our letters of reprisal unjust and besides there appeared an overruling providence in it otherwise he could not have seized the ship so well fitted nor could wise men have lost her so foolishly at concord a bullock was killed which had in his maw a ten shilling piece of english gold and yet it could not be known that any had lost it a barn at salem was set on fire with lightning and all the corn and hay consumed suddenly it fell upon the thatch in the breadth of a sheet in the view of people four june an epidemical sickness was through the country among indians and english french and dutch it took them like a cold and a light fever with it such as blood or used cooling drinks died those who took comfortable things for most part recovered and that in a few days wherein a special providence of god appeared for not a family nor but few persons escaping it had brought it all so weak as it did some and continued so long our hay and corn had been lost for want of help but such was the mercy of god to his people as few died not above forty or fifty in the massachusetts and near as many at connecticut but that which made the stroke more sensible and grievous both to them and to all the country was the death of that faithful servant of the lord mr thomas hooker pastor of the church in hartford who for piety prudence wisdom zeal learning and what else might take him serviceable in the place and time he lived in might be compared with men of greatest note and he shall need no other praise the fruits of his labors in both englands shall preserve an honorable and happy remembrance of him forever footnote the judgment of posterity bears out this warm contemporary tribute encourage humanity and wisdom the founder of connecticut stands among the best men of his time in footnote fourteen four june fourteen in this sickness the governor's wife daughter of sir john tyndall knight left this world for a better being about fifty-six years of age a woman of singular virtue prudence modesty and piety and specially loved and honored of all the country footnote the virtues of margaret winthrop the husband's third wife are richly attested she received the esteem of all and her husband's affection was profound her letters still extant see r c winthrop life of john winthrop while over unctuous with the inevitable effusive piety of that age at the same time show the helpful sweet-hearted woman she had been made in our own day the subject of an attractive memoir by mrs earl in footnote the meeting of the commissioners of the colony should in course have been at plymouth in the sixth month next but upon special occasion of the indians there was a meeting appointed at boston blank which continued to the seventeen six august seventeen next the chief occasion was that ninnacraft footnote often spelled ninigrit reported to have saved on one occasion the life of john winthrop jr whose descendants possess a portrait of the sachem in footnote the sachem of neantic had professed his desire to be reconciled to the english etc and that many indians would complain of uncas and his brother their falsehood and cruelty etc if they might come to boston to be heard there the general court made an order that all elections of governor etc should be by papers delivered in to the deputies before the court as it was before permitted this was disliked by the freemen and diverse of the new towns petitioned for the repeal of it as an infringement of their liberties for when they consented to send their deputies with full power etc they reserved to themselves matter of election as appears by the record of the court blank 
upon these petitions the said order was repealed and it was referred to the next court of elections to consider of a meet way for ordering elections to the satisfaction of the petitioners and the rest of the freemen but that court being full of business and breaking up suddenly it was put off farther in the depth of winter in a very tempestuous night the fort at saybrook was set on fire and all the buildings within the palisado with all the goods etc were burnt down captain mason his wife and children hardly saved the loss was estimated at one thousand pounds and not known how the fire came captain bridge's house at lynn burnt down twenty seven two forty eight footnote april twenty seventh sixteen forty eight in footnote at newfoundland towards the end of the fishing season there is a great huracano in the night which caused a great wreck of ships and boats and much fish blown off the shore into the sea some small vessels we had there but through mercy none of them miscarried the united colonies having made strict orders to restrain all trade of powder and guns to the indians by occasion whereof the greatest part of the beaver trade was drawn to the french and dutch by whom the indians were constantly furnished with those things though they also made profession of like restraint but connived at the practice so as our means of returns for english commodities were grown very short it pleased the lord to open to us a trade with barbados and other islands in the west indies which as it proved gainful so the commodities we had in exchange there for our cattle and provisions as sugar cotton tobacco and indigo were good help to discharge our engagements in england in this summer there was so great a drought as their potatoes and corn etc were burnt up and diverse london ships which rode there were so short of provisions as if our vessels had not supplied them they could not have returned home which was an observable providence that whereas many of the london seamen were wont to despise new england as a poor barren country should now be relieved by our plenty after the great dearth of victuals in these islands followed presently a great mortality whether it was the plague or pestilent fever it killed in three days that in barbados there died six thousand and in christopher's of english and french near as many and in other islands proportional the report of this coming to us by a vessel which came from fail the court published an order that all vessels which succumbed from the west indies should stay at the castle and not come on shore nor put any goods on shore without license of three of the council on pain of one hundred pounds nor any to go aboard etc except they continued there etc on like penalty the like order was sent to salem and other haven towns footnote an early instance of quarantine in english america in footnote but one good man dell of boston coming from christopher's in a small pinnace and being put into gloucestershire and there forbidden to land and informed of the order of the court yet coming into the bay and being hailed by the castle boat and after by the captain of the castle denied that he came from the west indies and having taken in three fishermen whom the captain knew who joined with him in the same lie they were let pass and so came on shore at boston before it was known but such of the councils were assembled the next day and sent for some of the company and upon examination finding that the sickness had been ceased at christopher's three months before they came forth so as there could be no danger of infection in their persons they gave them liberty to continue on shore but for cotton and such goods as might retain the infection they ordered them to be laid in an house remote and for dell he was bound over to the next court to answer his contempt about fourteen days after a ship came from Malago, which had stayed nine days at barbados she was stopped at the castle the captain brought the master and two others to boston which he ought not to have done four magistrates examined them upon oath and finding they were all well save two who had the flux and no goods from barbados but three bags of cotton which were ordered to be landed etc at an island the ship was suffered to come up but none to come on shore for a week after etc 
4, 6, August 4. There is a great marriage to be solemnized at Boston. The bridegroom being of Hingham, Mr. Hubbard's church, he was procured to preach, and came to Boston to that end. But the magistrates, hearing of it, sent to him to forbear. The reasons were, one, for that his spirit had been discovered to be adverse to our ecclesiastical and civil government, and he was a bold man and would speak his mind. Two, we were not willing to bring in the English custom of ministers performing the solemnity of marriage, which sermons at such times might induce, but if any ministers were present and would bestow a word of exhortation, etc., it was permitted. The new governor of the Dutch, called Peter Stuyvesant, being arrived at the Manados, footnote, Petrus Stuyvesant arrived at Manhattan in May 1647, in footnote, sent his secretary to Boston with letters to the governor, with tender of all courtesy and good correspondency, but withal taking notice of the differences between them and Connecticut, and offered to have them referred to friends here, not to determine, but to prepare for a hearing and determination in Europe, in which letter he lays claim to all between Connecticut and Delaware. The commissioners being assembled at Boston, the governor acquainted them with the letter, and it was put to consideration what answer to return. Some advised that seeing he made profession of much good will and desire of all neighborly correspondency, we should seek to gain upon him by courtesy, and therefore to accept his offer, and to tender him a visit at his own home, or a meeting in any of our towns which he should choose. But the commissioners of those parts thought otherwise, supposing it would be more to their advantage to stand upon terms of distance, etc. An answer was returned accordingly, only taking notice of his offer, and showing our readiness to give him a meeting in time and place convenient, so matters continued as they were. 26, 7, September 26. But it appeared that a Dutch ship from Holland, being in the harbor at New Haven, where they had traded about a month, were surprised by the Dutch governor and carried to the Manhados. The manner was thus. The merchants of New Haven had bought a ship in the Manhados, which was to be delivered at New Haven. In her, the Dutch government put a company of soldiers who, being under decks when the ship came into New Haven, took their opportunity afterward, upon the Lord's Day, to seize the Dutch ship, and having the wind fair, carried her away. The governor of New Haven complained of the injury to the Dutch governor and made a protest, etc. The Dutch governor justified the act by examples of the like in Europe, etc., but especially by claiming the place, and so all along the seacoast to Cape Cod. He pretended to seize the ship as forfeit to the West India Company by trading in their limits without leave or recognition. It fell out at the same time that three of the Dutch governor's servants fled from him and came to New Haven, and being pursued were there apprehended and put in prison. The Dutch governor writes to have them delivered to him, but directs his letter to New Haven and New Netherlands. Upon this the governor of New Haven refused to deliver them, and writes back to the Dutch, maintaining the right to the place, both by patent from King James, and also by purchase from the natives, and by quiet possession and improvement many years. He wrote also to the governor of the Massachusetts, acquainting him with all that had passed, and desired advice. These letters coming to Boston about the time of the general court, he acquainted the court with them, and a letter was drawn and sent, as from the court, to this purpose. To the Dutch governor of these, that we were very sorry for the difference which was fallen out between him and our confederates of New Haven, that we might not withhold assistance from them, in case of any injurious violence offered to them, that we accounted their title to the place they possessed to be as good as the Dutch had to the Monhados, that we had willingly interposed for a friendly reconciliation, and that we had right to New Haven to persuade the delivery of the fugitives, etc. We wrote also to the governor of New Haven to the same purpose, intimating to him that at our request he might deliver the fugitives without prejudice to their right or reputation. 
but this notwithstanding they detained the fugitive still nor would send our letter to the dutch governor whereupon he made proclamation of free liberty for all servants etc of new haven within his jurisdiction and wrote to the governor of the massachusetts blaming the practice in the general excusing it in his particular case as being enforced thereto etc this course not prevailing about the end of winter he wrote privately to the fugitives and the minister of their church wrote also whereby he gave such assurance to the fugitives both of pardon of what was past and satisfaction otherwise as they made an escape and returned home so that it then appeared that the advice sent from boston had been better to have been put in practice in season than their own judgment in pursuit whereof this reproach and damage befell them one march after this the dutch governor writes to our governor in dutch complaining of injuries from the governor of new haven calling him the pretended governor etc particularly for wronging his reputation by slanderous reports and proffers to refer all differences as formerly he had done to the two governors of the massachusetts and plymouth mr winthrop and mr bradford by name and professing all good neighborhood to all the rest of the colonies with some kind of retraction to his former claim to new haven etc as if all claim by word or writing protests etc were of no value so long as there is no invasion by force the governor of new haven mr theophilus eaton he writes also about the same time complaining of the dutch governor and informing of indian intelligence of the dutch as animating the natives to war upon the english and of the excessive customs and other ill usage of our vessels arriving there and propounding withal a prohibition of all trade with the dutch until satisfaction were given these letters being imparted fifteen one march fifteenth the general court at boston they thought the matter more weighty and general to the concernment of all the country than that anything should then be determined about it and more fit for the commissioners first to consider of etc and return to answer to new haven accordingly see after one fifteen footnote page three forty two of this edition in footnote about this time we had intelligence of an observable hand of god against the dutch at new netherlands which though it were sadly to be lamented in regard of this calamity yet there appeared in it so much of god in favour of his poor people here and displeasure towards such as have opposed and injured them as is not to be passed by without due observation and acknowledgment the late governor mr william keeft a sober and prudent man though he abstained from outward force yet had continually molested the colonies of hartford and new haven and used menacings and protests against them upon all occasions and had burnt down a trading house which new haven had built upon delaware river and went for holland in a ship of four hundred tons well manned and richly laden to the value as was supposed of twenty thousand pounds and carried away with him two of our people under censure the one condemned for rape though we pursued them etc but in their passage in the eighth month october the ship mistaking the channel was carried into severn and cast away upon the coast of wales near swansea the governor and eighty other persons drowned and some twenty saved complaint has been made to the commissioners of the colonies at their last meeting by pumham and sakinoko against the gortonist who are now returned to shaomet and had named it warwick for eating up all their corn with their cattle etc it was left to our commissioners who wrote to some in those parts to view the damages and require satisfaction but mr Cogeshall, who died soon after and saw and other of the magistrates of rhode island came to shaomet and gave the praisers a warrant under their hands and one of their seals forbidding them or any other to intermeddle etc pretending it to be within their jurisdiction whereupon the men returned and did nothing and upon another warrant from the president in the name of the commissioners there was nothing done either so as the poor indians were in danger to be starved etc 
Upon their farther complaints to us, the general court, in the first month, March, sent three messengers to demand satisfaction for the Indians, and for other wrongs to some English there, and to command them to depart the place as belonging to us, etc. They used our messengers with more respect than formerly, but gave no satisfaction, bearing themselves upon their charter, etc. We could do no more at present, but we procured the Indians some corn in the meantime. In the agitation of this matter in the general court, some moved to have an order, upon refusal of satisfaction, etc., to send forces presently against them, but others thought better to forbear any resolution until the return of our messengers, and the rather because we expected our agent out of England shortly, by whom we should know more of the success of our petition by the Parliament, etc., it being very probable that the charter would be called in as illegal, etc., and this council prevailed. It may be now seasonable to set down what success it pleased the Lord to give Mr. Winslow, our agent, with the Parliament. Mr. Winslow set sail from Boston about the middle of Timber, December 1646, and carried such commissions, instructions, etc., as are before mentioned. Upon his arrival in England, and delivery of his letters to the Earl of Warwick, Sir Henry Vane, etc., from the Governor, he had a day appointed for audience before the committee, and Gordon and other of his company appeared also to justify their petition and information, which they had formerly exhibited against the court, etc., for making war upon them and keeping them prisoners, etc. But after that our agent had showed the two letters they wrote to us from Shaomet, and the testimony of the court, and some of the elders, concerning their blasphemous heresies and other miscarriages, it pleased the Lord to bring about the hearts of the committees, so as they discerned of Gordon, etc., what they were, and of the justice of our proceedings against them. Only they were not satisfied in this, that they were not within our jurisdiction, etc., to which our agent pleaded two things. One, that they were within the jurisdiction of Plymouth or Connecticut, and so the orders of the commissioners of the United Colonies had left them to us. Two, the Indians, upon whose lands they had dwelt, had subjected themselves and their land to our government. Whereupon the committee made this order following, which they directed in form of a letter to Massachusetts, Plymouth, and Connecticut, one to each, viz. After our hearty commendations, in our late letter of 25th May, etc., we imparted how far we had proceeded upon the petition of Mr. Gordon and Mr. Holden, etc. We did, by our said letter, declare our tenderness of your just privileges, and of preserving entire the authority and jurisdiction of the several governments of New England, whereof we shall still express our continued care. We have since that taken further consideration of the petition, and spent some time in hearing both parties, concerning the bounds of those patents under which yourselves and the other governments do claim, to the end we might receive satisfaction, whether Sheomet and the rest of the tract of land, pretended to by the petitioners, be actually included within any of your limits, in which point, being matter of fact, we could not, at this distance, give a resolution, and therefore leave that matter to be examined and determined upon the place, if there shall be occasion, for that the boundaries will be there best known and distinguished. And if it shall appear that the said tract is within the limits of any of the New England patents, we shall leave the same and the inhabitants thereof to the proper jurisdiction of that government under which they fall. Nevertheless, for that the petitioners have transplanted their families thither, and there settled their residences at a great charge, we commend it to the government within whose jurisdiction they shall appear to be, as our only desire at present in this matter, not only not to remove them from their plantations, but also to encourage them with protection and assistance in all fit ways, provided that they demean themselves peaceably and not endanger any of the English colonies by a prejudicial correspondency with the Indians, or otherwise, wherein if they shall be found faulty, we leave them to be proceeded with according to justice. 
to this purpose we have also written our letters of this tenor to the governments of new plymouth and connecticut hoping that a friendly compliance will engage these persons to an inoffensive honor and conformity and so become an act of greater conquest honor and contentment to you all than the scattering or reducing of them by an hand of power and so not doubting of your concurrence with this desire as there shall be occasion we commend you to the grace of christ resting your very affectionate friends from the committee etc twenty two of july sixteen forty seven warwick governor and admiral pembroke and montgomery manchester a r t h hesselridge john roll h e n mildmay g e o fenwick w m purefoy r e c h salway miles corbert c o r holland g e o snelling the first letter from the committee after mr winslow had delivered our petition and remonstrance which should have been inserted before the former after a hearty commendations etc by our letter of may fifteenth sixteen forty six we communicated to you our reception of a complaint from mr gordon and mr holden etc touching some proceedings tried against them by your government we also imparted to you our resolutions grounding upon certain reasons set forth in our said letter for their residing upon sheovet and the other parts of that tract of land which is mentioned in the charter of civil incorporation heretofore granted them by us praying and requiring you to permit the same accordingly without extending your jurisdiction to any part thereof or disquieting them in their civil peace or otherwise interrupting them in their possession until we should receive your answer to the same in point of title and thereupon give further order we have since received a petition and remonstrance from you by your commissioner mr winslow and though we have not yet entered into a particular consideration of the matter yet we do in the general take notice of your respect as well to the parliament's authority as your own just privileges and find cause to be further confirmed in our former opinion and knowledge of your prudence and faithfulness to god and his cause and perceiving by your petition that some persons do take advantage from our said letter to decline and question your jurisdiction and to pretend a general liberty to appeal hither upon their being called in question before you for matters proper to your cognizance we thought it necessary for preventing of further inconveniences in this kind hereby to declare that we intended not thereby to encourage any appeals from your justice nor to restrain the bounds of your jurisdiction to a narrower compass than is held forth by your letters patent but to leave you with all that freedom and latitude that may in any respect be duly claimed by you knowing that the limiting of you in that kind may be very prejudicial if not destructive to the government and public peace of the colony for your further satisfaction wherein you may remember that our said resolution took rise from an admittance that the norangnus at bay the thing in question was wholly within the bounds of your patent an examination whereof will in the next place come before us in the meantime we have received advertisement that the place is within the patent of new plymouth and that the grounds of your proceedings against the complainants was a joint authority from the four governments of massachusetts plymouth connecticut and haven which if it falls in upon proof will much alter the state of the question and whereas our said direction extended not only to yourselves but also to all the other governments and plantations in new england whom it might concern we declare that we intended thereby no prejudice to any of their rights nor the countenancing of any practice to violate them and that we shall for the future be very ready to give our encouragement and assistance in all your endeavors for settling of your peace and government and the advancement of the gospel of jesus christ to whose blessing we commend your persons and affairs your very loving friends from the committee of lords and commons etc twenty fifth may sixteen forty seven warwick governor and admiral b a s denby e d w manchester w m say and seal f r dacker 
W.M. Waller, Arthur Hesselridge, Miles Corbet, F.R. Allen, W.M. Purefoy, G.E.O. Fenwick, C.O.R. Holland. The committee, having thus declared themselves to have an honorable regard of us and care to promote the welfare of the four united colonies and other English plantations to the eastward, for they had confirmed Mr. Rigby his patent of Lagonia, and by their favorable interpretation of it had brought it to the seaside, whereas the words of the grant laid it twenty miles short and had put Surford and Anna Gorge out of all as far as Saco, our agents proceeded to have the charter, which they had lately granted to those of Rhode Island and Plymouth, to be called in as lying within the patent of Plymouth or Connecticut. Footnote. The colony had reason to be satisfied with the work of Winslow. Lagonia was a plow patent, of the fortunes of which we have several times read. Though Gorton and his followers were dispossessed at Warwick, we are not to understand from the misleading language of the paragraph that Providence and Newport were disturbed. In footnote. End of section 24.